0: Hey everybody, welcome to Row Hunting Resources Podcast. Alright, well I was hoping that we were going to be able, I was going to be able to have Steve Chappell's uh, discussion, philosophy elk calling, uh, and have Steve Chappell's take on things uh, recorded before now so that way uh, we could release those discussions back to back to back. Unfortunately Steve's schedule has been such that we just haven't been able to get it recorded. Hopefully as the, you know, you guys are listening to this on Monday Most of you are, anyway. Um, Hopefully, we'll be recording that Monday night and be able to get that edited, uploaded, and then released, so that way you'll have it maybe on Tuesday if if everything goes well. I'm going to be doing a bunch of discussions and videos. I'm recording stuff now. I'm working on some other stuff for the elk module, the Elk Hunting Institute, for our subscribers. So there's going to be some discussions that are going to come up that are going to be for subscribers only. So if you see the podcast... Uh, episodes, numbers. I don't know how many I don't know how I want to do it yet, but just understand that there's gonna be a bunch of, of different stuff released over this next two week two weeks as most of us get geared up and ready to head to the hills. Now, obviously, Utah is in full swing right now. Uh, I talked to Ryan Carter. He's out in the field. Um, not a lot going on. It's pretty quiet. There's a few animals starting to squeal here and there, especially up high. but um, everything's just, it's, it's, it's early and most everybody that I know that's getting ready to head to the field. Most seasons are starting in that, you know, first, second, sometime around there in the beginning of September. So, uh, going to be a mad scramble to push a bunch of different stuff out. So tonight, why don't we just go through, I've got a list of questions that I thought I've answered a bunch of questions, individual questions, uh, these past couple weeks. You know anybody on Instagram or whatever sending questions in uh, or emails. Some of them, if they're if they're kind of a unique question, again, I've talked about this before. If it's a kind of a unique question, I just go ahead and I'll just answer you. But some of these are are general enough to where I figured I'd just address them here in the podcast. That way, it's um, um it's covered, uh, and and more than likely a lot. Sev- there's been more than one person asking these questions, so I've got a list of. Well, I've got. So I got. Oh no, it doesn't matter. I got. I've got a list of questions here. Let me let me tackle seven of them that are good general questions tonight. I've got one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six that are are deeper discussions that are actually directly related to stuff that's found in the elk module. So I'm gonna i'm going to record as soon as i'm done with this one if you want to continue if you want to hear those questions as well then jump over and log into uh the website row hunting resources jump on the elk module and you will be able to pick up that the the rest of the discussion for some of those so um like for instance um i've talked before about bulls okay so all right one of those questions is it's about chuckling, bulls chuckling, all right, this, there was a podcast recently where an individual was talking, and he said that uh, bulls only chuckle to other bulls, and that just lit everything up on my end, because people were like, does that make sense, is that true, or whatever, okay, so I've got my thoughts on that, Um, I'm going to dive into it, but I also mentioned um, in a different podcast, I think maybe it was with Guy, on Western Contours. I don't remember if that's where it was, but regardless, um, or maybe it was on one of the other. No, maybe it was with Dirk. I don't remember. Everything's just blurring and merging into one these days. Anyway, I said that if I hear a bull that just chuckles, that's the bull I'm going to go after. And so those two statements right there that people heard on whether it's my podcast or a different podcast related to chuckling just lit things up. So I'm going to deep dive. So I've got a video on the. Um, in the entire, on the foundation, if you log in and you go to the elk stuff, if you log in and you look at the foundation principles, you're going to see an entire video series, you know, talking about bull elk vocal, bull vocalizations, not just bugles, but just bull vocalizations. I deep dive on Chuckles in that, um, as well in in that series, but Let's. I'm gonna take it a kind of a step further, and I'm gonna I'm gonna deep dive on some other things that that um, regarding that with bulls chuckling, and then why I why I like bulls that just chuckle at you. Um, the other thing too, uh, another question came in about young bulls pushing or or her, quote unquote herding cows, and, and some people had been out scouting recently, saw some activity that they thought was, you know, bulls trying to herd the cows up. And they were saying, oh, it's going to be an early rut. Well, okay, hold on a minute. We we need to, we need, again, that's going to be a deep discussion about it. We need to talk about age class. We need to talk about behavior and we need to talk about reproductive strategy and and, uh, mate selection strategy. And that is going to be a a huge topic. I'm I'm working on it now. I've already recorded uh, three, three videos so far that are going to be released here fairly shortly. Uh, I'm working on the fourth video of that and this is where it deep dives into deep dives into bull vocalization bugling strategies um if you will that people talk about um we, we cannot I don't want to dive too far down the rabbit hole but man more and more I'm hearing we we've got more and more people talking about elk calling and um, not so much the strategies, but just what, what different vocalizations mean. And some of it is, some of it's neutral. I don't care, whatever. Everybody can have their take, but then there's, there's other stuff that is just getting, it's just, it's taking on a life of its own and it's starting to get so sensationalized that really we just got to take a step back and be like, all right, what what are we actually talking about here? Are we talking about elk behavior? Are we talking about actual elk vocalizations or are we talking about I don't know I you know I it was funny I was talking to my wife earlier we were she saw me looking at you know again somebody sent me a a post um and I was just sitting there reacting to it and she she wanted to know and and we started talking and you know I've always said you know I don't play to I really don't usually play to testosterone uh for elk um But a lot of people do. The The thing that, what she said, she's like, it seems like a lot of what you hear today and what, you know, and I, I, she listened to some of the clip. It seems like a lot of what's being talked about these days isn't even about playing to a bull's testosterone. It's it's about playing to our testosterone. People, you know, guys' testosterone. I mean, I don't, the, the and I'm not trying to be sexist here, but ladies, I don't hear a lot of ladies teaching elk calling. I mean I w- I would really love to find some good quality females that they know their shit and, and, and that can teach that that talk about elk vocalizations and calling strategies. It's dominated in the world of it, by the world of men right now. So everybody that I know that that teaches this stuff is is a guy. And it seems like we're just it's it's like this ramp up of testosterone of who can be the most uh sensational as far as what what tactics, tech, you know, what, what strategies they're going to use and what bugles they're going to use and, and the scenarios that they play and what it's like, alright, we we at some point, we need to co- this whole discussion needs to come back to the, the most important aspect in this whole damn thing and it's a, it should be elk it should be actual bulls and cows but anyway, that's, that's the deep dive on, and the, the series is a basically a discussion between emotion and meaning and and in just how this, how everything is just kind of manifesting itself this, this day and age in the world of podcasts and videos and YouTube. Um, and, and, but I'm going to look, trust me, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be cast. I gotta, I, I can't say trust me. I mean, hell you you can, or you don't have to, I don't care. I guess what I'm saying is I'm going to, I'm going to look critically at what I've said too. You know, I'm, I'm going to go deep dive on some of my stuff and I'm going to rip some of my stuff apart and, and reanalyze it and maybe, you know, kind of uh, um, explore different different things with it. But um, some of this stuff is just getting crazy, man. It's just getting crazy. So that, again, that's going to be a, a, a deep dive discussion in the elk module again, like I said, younger bulls pushing and, and herding cows around. Now, if you want to hear me talk at least, I mean, even just a tiny little bit about it and, and see what I'm talking about, you can go on my YouTube channel and look up the High Country Redemption video that I did, elk video. Um, and I right in the beginning, you watch this young 6 by 6 pushing uh, cows around. Now, this is actually, that video is actually in September. Not, you know, mid-August, but the the statement I was making in there, and what you could see, uh, is directly parallel to the questions that have come in. That you know, the the folks that are out there scouting now and watching some of this. So, if you want to get a, a little bit of a taste of of what we're going to talk about, watch that video at least the first little bit of it, and you'll see that behavior and, and me talk about that behavior a little bit. Um, another one I'm going to de- I'm going to really kind of dive into is the frequency people you know their their practice and their calls. You know, especially from the conversation with Dirk, you know, Dirk and, and his uh, philosophy uh, in relation to maybe the Doug Fluties out there on the landscape, quote unquote. You know, so people are concerned about, you know, how, what's the frequency? If, I, if I'm going to go out there on the on the landscape, as far as Chris Rose is concerned, you know, if I'm going out there in the landscape and I'm going to prospect with a contact bugle, what some people call locator, location bugle, but a, a contact bugle, you know, Folks are like, oh, I don't want to be a Doug Flutie. I don't want. I don't want to be that guy. So, you know, how, how often? What? You know, when am I going to do it? Why am I? You know, where am I? Okay, we're going to deep dive on that because it's not just a. It's not just a a recipe. There's there's factors on the landscape that we need to. You, before you you want to just say, how many times do I bugle? You need to assess a whole bunch of things. Before you even decide whether to pull your bugle out of your pack or, or off your shoulder or not, so we're going to dive into that one. Um, and then again, I, I and this I just have this in general elk mate selection, you know, mate selection strategy and, and breeding behavior. Um, man, there's a lot of people these days just missing it. Um, they're they're completely utterly disregarding it, and it and it shows. And I think it's you know I don't care about. Uh, people's individual, individual strategies and the tactics that they use to execute those strategies. But when people start putting explanations to things, it's it's setting, and I guess this is a good segue. The reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up now is because there's been a, a really, and I I love it, I, there's a, been a, a pulse, a wave of new, excuse me, burping, dang it, new subscribers this past month. And a lot of them are coming from other educational avenues. They've been to the other subscription sites. They've listened to the other podcasts. And for whatever reason, they've said, no, I I want to go check out what Chris is talking about. Well, obviously, when they get into my stuff and start looking at it, it's wildly different than what they've been told and what they've learned so far. So... They come in and they're bringing in all sorts of preconceived, for lack of a better term, bias, um, erroneous thinking to where you can, when you sit and you chat with them or you just message them, um, you can, you can tell right off the bat that they're headed in a direction that is going to set them up for failure where, where, you know, where they're planning on hunting because they're, they, they are, they just don't understand elk mate selection strategy, breeding behavior, and, and exactly what a, what a bull is doing on the landscape, what a cow is doing on the landscape and how those two actually interact. We've, we've got to go back to the basics and we've got to focus on that. So those are some of the things that I'm going to be deep diving into this week and getting released on the website. They will be on video they'll be in video format, but they will also be in audio format. So if it's easier for you if you're driving your vehicle cross country or you're headed up to hills or whatever and you don't have great cell signal to where you can't just have the video going if you're if you're the passenger, I mean, obviously don't be watching the video while you're driving. Uh the website's mobile optimized for mobile viewing, so I mean, so your phone or whatever. But don't be driving and watching this stuff. But if you're sitting in the passenger seat or if you're sitting in a hotel room at night or whatever, and you want to watch it, great, go for it, watch it. But if you just want to sit and listen to it as though it was a podcast, having an audio file is going to be smaller and it's going to be a lot easier if you have um, weaker cell signals as you're as you're driving along. So anyway those are going to be released to the subscribers. So let me segue into some of the questions. And the first question then is going to be for those people that have reached out that have, you know, everybody's kind of panicking. They're like, well, shoot, you know, it's, you know, two weeks before season or, or you know, 10 days before season or I'm not, I'm, you know, I've got only three or four weeks before season. Is there really enough time to do anything? You know, should I just wait? Or I can't answer that um, as whether or not you should wait to subscribe. But I will tell you, you don't have, I mean, you can get in there and even though you may not consume 100% of all the material before you have to leave or, or perfect all that material, um, and you're probably not going to perfect it anyway. There's just a, or not, not in one fell swoop that there's a lot in there, but, um, you can streamline it and I'll, I'll help you streamline it right here. So if you want to subscribe and you want to get the broad, I mean, like the, the biggest bang for the buck, if you had to spend just a couple hours, then get in there. The first thing I would do is go through and watch, you know, understanding my philosophy and calling where, where, what was my origin story and why? See if that makes sense. See if it relates to you and see if it relates to some of, you know, what the, some of the areas that you're hunting in. Okay. Just so you can get a framework of, of where I'm coming from. So start right in the beginning and watch that, uh, you know, the, the philosophy of uh, my philosophy, my background stuff, all right? The very next thing that you need to dive into, do not jump to the strategies in action. Do not jump straight to the gallery yet. Take it step by step. The next thing that you need to do to get the biggest bang for the buck go straight to the behavior. Go straight to the behavior section and watch those videos. It'll take a few hours. There's, just, there's a few hours of, of content in there. But go st- understand the see you first, hear you second, smell you third principle. Understand the doorway principle. Those two things right there will, will... If you can grasp those and understand those, those will do more for your success and understanding in the future than you learning how to perfect a a particular cow call or perfect a particular bugle or 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 whatever getting your setups right and understanding how elk move across the landscape and why setting yourself up and using vocalization strategically so that they don't choose to swing downwind of your location that's huge they're not setting up so that they're not hanging up out of range on you those things are massive. So, so watch the behavior section first. That's under the foundation principles. There, you'll find that just elk, you know elk behavior. Boom. Watch. Click on that and just open up every tab on that. Open up each of the videos and go right through it. And there's a section in there that talks about decoys because every year people ask me about decoys. Do I carry decoys? Do I use? Them? I carry decoys. Do I use them? Ninety nine percent of the time, no, I do not. It's a nice tool to have when you need one, but like one of the subscribers back a few years back said, he said it, he's like, ditch the decoy, work the setup. I couldn't agree more. If you understand your setup and you trust it and you, this is the thing, if you understand it, I'm not talking about you, you accidentally picked a good setup. No, I'm talking about you chose that setup strategically because you understand how elk move across the landscape. When you do that, Then you have faith in your abilities. You have faith to let the setup work. Let things unfold. Okay? Hit the behavior section first. When you get through those videos, I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, you jump to the cow vocalizations. Understanding cow vocalizations. And if you want... most of everything that I do is as a, as a targeted strategy. If you if you do end up getting down to the strategies in action videos, watching me calling elk in, you're going to see I use a targeted strategy 90 plus percent of the time. Okay, fine. That's what I do because it's a moneymaker. Okay, fine. Then just focus on that. Then go to the cow vocalization strategy, or not cow vocalization uh, videos, jump straight to the lost mew, go right to the, the assembly mew, and then maybe pick up the demanding mew or selfish or you know pick up some of the other but you need to learn that's the lost mew you understand it you need to learn and understand the assembly mew. and maybe a frustrated whine okay learn those then go ahead go over to the, the bull vocalizations if nothing else tackle the contact bugles understand contact bugles and understand what I'm talking about and why. All right, you can d- dive into the dominant bugles if you want, but the, the loss Mew, the Assembly Mew, Contact Bugle. Right there, you've got 90 plus percent of, of, of all the tools in the toolbox you're going to need for a variety of different situations in a variety of different landscapes, in a variety of different and pressure, in a variety of different sex ratios, etc., okay? That is what I. Those are the calls that I rely on year in year out. That that whether it's for my own own personal hunt or whether I'm guiding, and I don't care if it's especially if I'm guiding down in Unit Nine, someone's trusting me with their how many preference points that they they've burned. Um, that's what I'm doing to call elk. All right. So you can tackle those things bam 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 very quickly, very easily, and then I would spend from that at that point at that point go watch some of the gallery videos just so you can practice and and learn to perfect your calling and just you use those it watch those elk watch what they're doing listen to them vocalizing listen to them interact with one another don't even at this point given that you got you're short on time I would tell you, don't even necessarily worry about watching the behavior what's going on. Maybe just start practicing. Just practice your mouth diaphragms. Practice your your open read style call. Practice your bugle if you want. Just just so you can emulate some of those cat those, those sounds. And and there you go. Perfect them. Okay. And then maybe jump into a couple of the strategies in action videos just for fun, just to watch how everything gets pulled together. I, I'll pull everything together in the in those sections. Um, but very quickly you can tackle in the next couple, like 10 days to two weeks, absolutely you can tackle this stuff. Absolutely you can move the needle. Alright? Yes. To go through all that stuff, I don't know there's 50 some hours of, or more of stuff in there. Yeah, obviously, unless you want to just take a make it a full-time job and just sit down and watch everything back to back, okay, you can, but if you're pressed on time, the behavior section, Lost Mew, assembly Mew, contact bugles. And man, if you get that under your belt, if you understand that, you are well on your way. Well on your way. But the pro the okay, but I'm I'm going to I'm for those people that have spent a significant amount of time listening or or under the tutelage of other people, understand I come at things drastically different. And so you're gonna you're you're gonna have some what i would call bad habits maybe maybe not bad habits that's not right you you might come in with some preconceived biases and understandings that are not quite that don't quite jive with elk behavior and i hope i will i hope in those videos i make a rational case for you to understand why and hopefully you can embrace that and trust that and adjust accordingly. I guess I'll leave it at that for now. Um obviously like I said on the elk oh, subscriber discussions we're gonna, we're going we're going to deep dive a little a little deeper on it. Um and we're going to compare some things. So that's that's question number 1. Where to where to start now and and, and can can you get stuff out of it in the the next couple of weeks your days. Yeah absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. And to that point, uh, some of you have asked for some more examples of assembly muse, getting some really good, uh, closer, yeah, trust me, I would love to. Folks just saying, man, it'd be awesome if we had some closer or louder or, you you know, standalone examples of, of some of those assembly muse. Trust me, I would love to. Problem is, is when you're in those groups and when you hear them, you know, and let, Oftentimes it's only one or two. You a cow just will give one or two. That's all she needs. I want you to come to me. And she's talking to her calf, and she's like, "I want you to come to me." The calf listens, and so she does it once. Well, you're watching a group of elk, and w- which cow do you focus on? That's the problem. And so you find one that seems like she's talking, and then all of a sudden, you know, outside the the field of view, you know, a cow just Meh. she does an assembly mew, and you're like crap, and you swing the camera. Yeah, the calf's already over there nursing, and, and she's done. She's not going to give it again. So, trust me, it's a pain in the butt trying to isolate some of these things. Lost mews are easy because they're they're ubiquitous across the landscape, and they're doing more of them. Um, same thing with selfish. You know, what I call the selfish muse, the the those big, loud, raspy. Um, there's a lot of them on the landscape. And they're notorious, so when when a cow does one, you can go, there she is, and you can watch her vocalizing, you can watch her abdomen move, you can see her mouth open, you can see her head up, scanning ears, you know, you know it's her talking, and you can just whip that camera over, zoom in, focus on it, and man, capture some great stuff. The assembly mews are a pain in the butt, because they just, again, it's, it's not asking for a response. It's asking for an action. And most of the time, it's a dominant or a mature cow that's giving it, or at least a mother that's giving it. And the calf, if the calf's nearby, the calf listens. And so she gives it once, maybe twice. And there it is, done. You know, the, the example I give uh, on the website was one of those fortunate situations. Even then, I only caught the tail end of it. We were sitting there videoing, and all of a sudden, I hear an assembly mute. I'm like, "Cool!" And it, you know, it's like, again, grab the camera and whip that sucker around. And by the time—I mean, she did—I don't remember how many—a string of them. And by the time I was able to get the camera on her, hit record, and focused, and boom, she had like one or two left in her. And then the calf showed up. It's like son of a. So trust me. I every time we go out to record, man, I'm I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. But what you need to do is in those those videos in the gallery where you're watching all the elk where watching and listening those big cow calf groups I'll put on the screen when you hear that assembly me you'll you'll hear it you just may not be able to I see the cow that's doing it cuz whether she's off screen or just too far away but you'll you'll hear it and you'll see me put an assembly me on it just hit rewind jump back a little bit and then start paying attention just so you can just pick it up on the landscape a little bit better. Um, but yeah, trust me, man. I, I wish, yeah, I would love to get some more. I would love to get some more. Um, all right. This one, this one comes up every year. I have an entire video section on it in the, in the module, um, moon moon phase and elk 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 all right in a nutshell folks i did an entire breakdown on i had taken notes for i don't know 10 some 12 years was it i don't remember what it was a lot a long time and took notes on bugling activity in relationship to moon phase i talk about that in the video Uh, extensively on the website Um, in general no there is no data to support moon cycle driving estrus now at some point we're going to have a conversation I need to get I I need I want to I would love to have a conversation regarding the concept behind biological time. There's a book out there called Biological Time and that's gotten some legs over the years by a handful of people. Not a lot, but um, there are some people that stumble upon it that, that talk about how moon cycles, the lunar cycles, affect fish, uh, affect some birds, affect some, of the, some things. And so the, the argument was made that it affects everything. Subtly, some, some more than others and that estrus was actually timed based off of biological time the lunar clock not our um not our sorry not our um calendar you know not our you know January February March April May type of thing but based on a lunar cycle unfortunately this is where it gets tricky because when you look at the the lunar cycles, in your, let's just say a bright moon phase, I've always talked about, I, I don't really talk about a full moon, I talk about a bright moon versus dark moon, like a, a bright sky versus dark sky. Bright moon phase, dark moon phase, meaning you get about a half a moon in the sky that's up above you, it, it's shedding some pretty good light. And then as that moon is growing to full, it's just getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And brighter. Well, even after the moon goes past full, you still have a big honk and half chunk of moon up there in the sky that sheds a lot of light overnight. So you get that bright moon phase where you're kind of maybe half to three quarters of a full moon, full moon, and then three quarters, maybe a half of a, a, a moon after that. And then after that, most of the time, the moon is getting smaller and smaller but it's, it's showing up more and more in daylight. And so that's why you have a new moon is because the moon's actually, it's above your head during broad daylight and you, you just don't pick up on it. So bright moon versus dark moon phase. If you look at when that bright moon phase versus the dark moon phase happens in September, it fluctuates plus or minus. And it, it can fluctuate maybe plus or minus, some people will say two weeks. But realistically, maybe it's, the, the biggest thing that from a biological standpoint that has been shown is the photo period. Okay, photo period. The amount of day versus the amount of night. That's that's sun cycle. Okay, so a lot of times when you look at elk, when when you hear professionally, when we're talking about biology, you talk about elk ro- elk asterisk, it can start roughly... Depending on body condition, I have an entire... Okay, so this is another thing. People, some of you are asking questions that I have extensive video discussions on in the elk module, okay? So, uh, rethinking the rut is an entire video... It's an eight-part eight, what is it, eight part video series talking about the factors that actually trigger cow elk estrus, okay? You've got the, the, the photo period is the primary driver. But there are other things that play into it as well. Body condition of the cow, whether she's got a cow at her, you know, a calf at her side, whether she lost her calf, whether she's in the presence of mature bulls, how long she's been in the presence of mature bulls, has she been synch- did she get synchronized with other cows, mature cows in her group? I mean, there are a number of factors that all play into when a cow's actually or how a cow actually goes and in, in cycles into estrus. Generally speaking, the photo period, daylight versus dark, is the driver the fall equinox? Roughly between somewhere on that what 19th through 21st of September is usually that where you you just start really unlocking some stuff. Now it can happen two weeks before then, kind of really kick some things in, but then it, it'll it'll go for a couple weeks after that. So when you talk about biological time and you start talking about full moon, what you end up doing is is your people are conflict. It's just same thing with whitetails. It's not, it's really not any different. People conflate the driver of actual cows coming into sight, coming into estrus, with bugling activity and just overall activity at night versus day, and and how vocally they are and how, how receptive they are to, to calling. Blah blah blah. Those are not the same thing. Estrus cycling is largely driven by the photoperiod and her physical condition, and the, the conditions in the environment around her. Lunar cycle, the problem with, with talking about lunar cycle is that lunar cycle is only going to fluctuate plus or minus, let, let's, just, let's just say from an average, just for from a conservative standpoint, maybe 10 days. Now, I understand and I and I make this argument on my discussion if 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 you plan if let's just say the peak of the rut is normally uh, the third week of September wherever it is that you are hypothetically but then all of a sudden certain conditions show up on the landscape and the and the okay so normally in your area where you normally hunt in a normal year most of the elk most of the cows start to cycle that third week of September on average all right hypothetically but all of a sudden you have a certain year that conditions are such where a bunch of cows start to cycle say the second week of September well like we've talked about and I talk about in these videos if if you have a situation where you have a younger age class of your bulls you've got a lot of young bulls out in the landscape but you don't have a lot of older age class of animals in the landscape to where you end up with young bulls that are holding small harems where you know three, four cows here, there, whatever okay if that's the case, and your area where you, where you hunt has like one or two young bulls with a handful of cows in it, on a normal year, they, they cycle into estrus on the third week of season, and it's just chaos, and there's bugling everywhere, and, and you've got elk running all over the place. Well, if the conditions are such to where the, 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 this particular year, everything happens the second week of season. Well, obviously that's going to be a huge impact on your elk hunt because if, if you only take one week of vacation a year and you're like, hell no, we're going to take the third week of September off and you show up and it was last week, you know, the, the typical fishing story, man, you should have been here yesterday. Yeah, that sucks. It, it can throw a monkey wrench in your whole works. So people are, are hyper sensitive about, oh, I want to, I want to time that rut. The problem is biologically there is no way to prove and there is no proof that the moon the lunar cycle is doing anything to the cow because and and I don't know how you would ever wash that out and I don't know how anybody could ever prove it because the problem is is a cow it's generally generally what I think I was revisiting some stuff today I think was it 250 days roughly the gestation for a cow elk okay that's on average maybe it's 247 maybe it's 240 maybe she, or 245 maybe it's 255 well there's 10 days right there plus or minus that she could give birth to that calf so that just right there when she drops her calf can wash out anything you would ever see from the lunar cycle okay so from a biological standpoint there's no pr- there, there's there's no proof there's no evidence that the lunar cycle is doing anything to drive cow estrus. Now, does the bright moon phase affect bull behavior, bull, you know, activity? Well, yeah, it can and and I think a lot of people will tell you. Yeah, you're going to hear a lot more activity at night because they feel freer to be out there at night. They can see a lot better out there at night, and so they're active. And so there's, there is, there are some things that the lunar cycle will do to affect behavior and 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 bugling and and maybe even a little bit of daily cycle. But even still, the research shows, especially even in whitetails but it, the same thing shows in elk. Unless there's something new that I don't know about, they're still most active right at you know right around, you know, sun up and right around sundown, that, that crepuscular time period, okay? Now, what I've said in the past, and I have seen this, if you're in a bright moon phase, oftentimes, they start heading to bed a little earlier in the, in the morning. So they may actually, rather than being out in the meadow at, at daybreak, they're already back towards their, their bedding areas. And then in the evening, because it's brighter, longer, especially if if the if you're on a rising moon, maybe they don't come out of their bedding areas as earlier, okay? You're just going to have to play that by ear because it, it's not ubiquitous across the landscape. It doesn't affect all elk the same way because you've got bar- barometric pressure and weather systems are going to play more of an, a, a role in that than just, I mean, if you got cloud cover, it's irrelevant of what the moon, whether it's a bright moon phase or a dark moon phase, you got cloud cover. it's gonna, it's, it's gonna be normal, all right, so I, I don't, there's, there's a long discussion in that, there's the rethinking the rut series, and I've got the moon phase discussion in there, I don't plan my hunt around the moon at all anymore, I don't, I don't, because the weather affects things way more, the, the conditions, how much water's on the mountain is gonna, is gonna affect things more than the, in my opinion, than the moon phase. How much forage, what, what quality of feed is on the landscape is going to affect that. The herd dynamic is going to ha- affect that more. And quite honestly, more and more I'm seeing, it seems like we we have better rutting, not rutting, but we have better, sometimes, sometimes, better bugling and better um, chances for killing elk earlier in the season than, than later. Um, pick your, just pick your vacation time when it's most convenient to give you the, literally the easiest, most relaxing time to go out in the field with your family, with your work, with everything. Because I see people trying to play around with a rut and and trying to guess the rut and trying to guess the moon phase and all this type of stuff. And then maybe they've got some something going on at home with their kids or their wife has got, or spouse has got something going on or work something's going on and and that vacation, I'm going to hit the, I've got to take this this week because this is going to be the peak run and blah, blah, blah. And it causes hardship at home because it just coincides with stuff going on, going on back home to where you're in the field. And I've, I, I can't tell you how many times I watch this. You're in elk camp and you're on your, on your damn phone, on your email, like throughout the day trying to, to troubleshoot stuff at work trying to you know handle stuff at work trying to figure out what's going on with the home and, and what's going on with the kids and it's not a relaxing hunt. maybe maybe you pinwheeled it maybe you you got it right and man your elk hunt's awesome. but wouldn't it be nice to have an elk hunt where everything is settled at work you're good to go. Everything is going to be okay at home and settled at home to where when you go to elk camp you don't have to think about anything. You can just go up on the mountain and relax and just enjoy it. Which means you get to spend time more immersed in the elk hunt itself rather than what the hell's going on back home to where maybe you can pay attention to more. Where you're sitting there clicking on your stinking phone or you're so freaking tired because you were up late trying to, you know, cram through some emails or troubleshoot some stuff. And then all of a sudden, you're missing those midday opportunities. And and that's the thing with a bright moon phase. Oftentimes, I will say hunt all day because sometimes the midday hours during that bright moon phase can be really good because they've been in their bed for so damn long but i don't i just i just don't plan my elk hunt around the moon phase anymore i plan my elk hunt around what the conditions look like what are the herd dynamics of the area and when is it going to be most convenient and conducive for me to go out there in the field because if you if you Again, this is where I will I'm sorry, I'm gonna go back to this is why I do not play to testosterone most of the time during the feet out in the field. I don't give two rips. I'm gonna to go to the base fundamental behavior, the base fundamental communication. so that way it doesn't matter if I hit the peak rut or not. I, because quite honestly a lot of people are trying to hit the peak rut with the peak bugling frenzy when the, when the bulls are the stupidest. Okay, I understand that. Everybody loves a bull that's just stupid and wants to come screaming, running in and running them over over top of them. That's fine. But what if you don't run into that easy bull? You better have the skill set to be able to to weasel one out of the cover that wants to be silent. So if you learn that skill set and you spend time learning the, you know, understanding the fundamentals, man, it doesn't matter what week of season you go. As long as you can find the elk, you. You you've got to play. You, you I mean you have you have something to play with. And quite honestly, man, again, and I've talked about this before, those those weeks of season when the bulls are screaming their heads off running all over the place, if you're in a heavily hunted over-the-counter unit, guess where all the hunters are gonna be? Right there in the mix with you. Sometimes it's nice to be able to go up on the mountain and not have a lot of bugles. You go out there two, three hours after you know sundown or a couple hours before daybreak, and, and you're out there in the pitch black and you listen and you hear that little squeak that little level one contact bugle up in the valley, and you can get yourself up in there by daybreak in close, you know the elk is there, and you've probably been able to follow them and listen to them and figure out where they're going to to bed, and, and you're you are in striking you know position. Way better than anybody else on the map. And quite honestly, sometimes you're the only person that knows the elk is even there. I don't want those bulls screaming their heads off. I want them receptive. I want them to be willing to work a call, but I don't want them screaming their heads off because it just attracts everybody else on the mountain. So anyway, there's my thoughts on that. Uh, let's see. Oh, moose and elk. This one comes up too. Because there's, especially Colorado, um, and just a humorous aside, I saw Dirk's post earlier where he he had a nice, a really, really good bull moose in Idaho on camera on one of his elk cameras, or cameras that he's looking for elk. So Um, in Colorado, especially, there's more and more moose uh, showing up on the landscape. You know, it depends on the. You know, and the question was, do moose and elk commingle? You know, if you if you get an area that has a bunch of moose, are or, or the elk going to move out, or if the moose move in, will the elk move out? Uh, quite honestly, it has to deal with where the elk are and what and what they're feeding on. If the elk are using the exact same feeding resource, the the the, the meadows forage resources that the moose are. Yes, oftentimes the moose, just the presence, the body that they, they can displace those elk. So, meaning, if you're in heavy timbered areas, and the only open feeding areas are in and around um, these, you know, creek bottoms, old beaver ponds, uh, willow flats, and that type of stuff, Willow Creek, where the elk are down eating the Forbes eating the the tender shoots of the grasses, but they're also eating the willow leaves and all that type of stuff. If that's their primary forage area and moose move in, yes, they can bump those elk out. However, if you're down, if down in the bottom, you've got the water and there's old remnant beaver ponds and, and marshy areas and willows and whatnot, and the moose are down there, but right up the hill, you have alpine or open meadows and, and open grassland, you know, uh, uh, grassy slopes with fescue and that type of stuff. Um, no, oftentimes those those elk, they'll just go bed somewhere else and they'll be utilizing a different chunk of real estate up on the mountain. And you could have elk and moose in the same general vicinity. They're not going to be stacked, usually not going to be stacked on top of one another, but um, it, it all depends on the habitat that you're in. So, if the elk are using the exact same forage resources, the mooses, the mooses, the meese, moose, mice, maybe mice, I don't know. The moose are using, um, yeah, you, you, can, you can see them end up getting bumped and, and pushed out. But keep in mind also, um, part of that can also end up being general seasonal movement, meaning Moose can utilize heavier, woodier browse than elk can. And so you may just find yourself in a situation where the elk are moving through the fall. They're, they're moving along the across the landscape. Maybe they're moving down in elevation or they're moving across the mountain following uh, forage quality. And they might be in that willow flat for a little while where moose are off in a different willow flat or creek. A chunk of the creek bottom as the forage is becoming less and less palatable to the elk they move but same thing goes for the moose and the moose so you can have a movement across that landscape that is not driven by the interspecific conflict or you know uh, interaction between moose and elk they're just simply moving across the landscape basically filling in behind one another based on the forage changes on the landscape, if that makes sense. So just because you had elk in the meadow, you know, this, let's, for for instance, you had elk in the meadow, this this beaver pond meadow in August, where you're watching them from high country. And then you come back in in mid-September and there's no elk there, but there's moose there. Well, did the moose kick the elk out? Probably not. My guess is the forage quality changed the elk moved and the moose moved, and they just shifted. So the elk are probably at a different forage location, and the moose are just occupying what the elk were, you know, the month prior. So anyway, bump, uh, bump, bum, bum, bum. All right, this one came up, uh, and it, it obviously um, I talked about my bugle tube, and I I talked about the homebrew, and and then everybody with Dirk, um, people talk about okay, how do you choose a good bugle tube? All right. Now I talked about previously about, and let me, let me just go through it again. All right. Cause this just always comes up. As far as a bugle tube, for me, there's three, there's three components to it. There's the convenience of carrying the dang thing. And, and I, and I put that first because there's a hell of a lot of different manufacturers of really quality bugles out there. And there's a lot of different varieties of on shapes, sizes and maneuverability also. So don't hamstring yourself by a freaking paint a, a bugle that's a pain in the butt to carry simply because well I like this person or I like this okay. There's a lot of good stuff out there these days, okay? So for me, I you know, how big of a tube do I want to carry? How how am I going to carry it? You know? Some people like to just put it in a pocket on their side of their back or they'll they'll lash it to their backpack. Or they'll just literally they'll have their bow in one hand and the bugle tube in the other. That you see that all the time, and so it doesn't matter how big of a bugle tube that you do you want to you know carry. And quite honestly, how big of a bugle tube do you need to carry? I mean, are you hunting just massive, massive country where you need to just get out there and just rip a monster bugle out there and just I mean, like one of those big Swiss horns, just like just launch it across you know. Six counties of Colorado. Okay, if that's the case, then maybe choose a bigger bugle tube. Uh, but most of the time, even smaller tubes these days are well designed to where you don't have to carry a, a big honking bat anymore. Um, but anyway, I mine. I again, I made my homebrew because I the way I like to carry mine over my you know over my shoulder wrapped around me it, it, it's it's flexible so it kind of wraps around my side and it just sits underneath underneath my arm very very comfortably but I can grab it at a moment's no, notice just grab the mouthpiece mouthpiece, put it up to my mouth and boom I can I can blow a bugle or use a bull vocalization through the tube if I need to or cow call through the tube if I need to uh, very very easily without having to do anything so for me just how big what kind of bugle tube do you want to carry all right After that, the next consideration for me is the the stiffness and the hardness of the tube, the bell on that thing. Get yourself, this is my opinion, if you can take the bell of that bugle and you can squeeze it and crush it, move on. Next, Next one. I want a bugle tube that is rigid. Like rigid, stiff, stiff, rigid. Like you can bang somebody over the head with it and hurt. Okay, right? I want I want a hard, rigid bell you know, sound chamber on that bugle tube. All right. And again, Phelps makes them, Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls makes them. Um Yeah, well, there's there's the two big ones right there. That those those are the two big ones right there. Phelps and Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. Because even Steve Chapels, I like Steve Chapels Bugle, his signature series Bugle, but that's made by Rocky Mountain Hunting Call. So those are the two big ones right there. Uh, mile High, uh, I think Mile High Game Calls, maybe. They, man, sorry, Tom, I don't remember. I, th- I thought you did have a Bugle tube as well. Anyway, um, a st- I want a rigid, hard, rigid tube. Because that's going to throw sound better. You're going to get better tone out of it. You're going to get more flexibility of what you can do with it, and and the the realism of the sounds that you can get out of it. All right. Now again, like we talked about with with Phelps, you've got the they make one out of aluminum. You can't get much harder than that unless you want to carry one that's made out of steel. And I don't want to carry that. But they've got one that's made out of aluminum, and then they've got their ones that are just really really rigid, hard hard plastic. And then you know same thing. Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls has a real rigid hard plastic. Choose one of those. That's why on my homebrew, the, the the baseball bat, my little wiffle ball bat that I chose for the mouthpiece is a high-end wiffle ball bat. It's, it's rock hard. That thing, you can't crush it. Um, it's, it's very hard. If it's, if it's one of those thin plastic tubes that you can just crush with your hand easily, man, it's not going to carry the same um, quality of sound it's just not you're you're not going to get the the same volume out of it number one number two it's just not going to have the same quality of sound it's going to come across plastic you know like tubey and and plasticky um now obviously how you engage the read and how you all again people used to complain about the terminator bugle from primos I, i still love the terminator bugle even though the Terminator bugle violates what i'm telling you right now it's a it's a softer plastic you can take that thing and crush it now they've stiffened up the end a little bit but you you could still take it and crush it however the user friendliness of it and quite honestly you can get some really really good quality sounds out of it if you put your voice into it and you know what you're doing and not you just you don't have to sound like a a a, a pissed off monkey, all right? With the with the with the terminator tube. You can actually do some really good sounds out of that thing if you know if you spend some time in practice. But in general, I'm going to pick a tube that's got a really rigid hard bell on it. And then the third part, and this is this is where it sucks because you're just going to have to play with different bugles and different mouthpieces because different mouthpieces are going to engage your lips differently. And they are going to impart different back pressure on your, if you're using a mouth diaphragm, it, or well, hell, even if they put their external read on it, it's going to change the, the dynamics of the back pressure and how that read breaks for you. And that's going to, I mean, that's going to play into what read you actually choose to use how you run that read with your mouth and your tongue and in the shape of your mouth and, and how that whole th- that interplay works, and then how the back pressure of the tube works. So this is really where most people find out that they've got to play around with one, two, three, four different bugle tubes, specifically the mo- the opening so they can find the right size shape, that works especially if you want to do lip you know you want to buzz your lips whether you're talking about a lip ball bugle or you know what i again that's gonna be a deep dive on more of the discussion of the the types of bugles but if you want to buzz your lips and get really aggressive and really gnarly with the sound of the bugle that you're doing depending on how you buzz your lips and whether you buzz your lips without contact with a bugle tube or whether you need to have actual contact with the tube mouthpiece in order to get your lips to buzz properly Man, these are all little things that are going to be unique to you. And this is where you're going to have to play with different mouthpieces. Now, again, I, I have no association with Phelps other than I, I'm friends with the guys and I like, I like a bunch of their stuff. That's it. End of discussion. Uh, but again, like I said, I, I love Steve Chappell's signature series uh, Bugle tube. I, I like the mouthpiece on that as well. But if you look at the different mouthpieces out there, at least, you know, with, with Phelps, you can actually get different mouthpieces and, and you so you can get one tube and then play it without a mouthpiece and then you can put an external mouthpiece on it and you can change. So you can play with different mouthpieces uh, with Phelps, which makes it a lot cheaper than just having to go out and buy a whole new, you know, tube because a lot of them aren't cheap. Um, you're just going to have to play with them. You're just going to have to play with them and find out based on the diaphragms that you can work the best, your calling style, and how you blow through a tube. Whether you want a large opening, small opening, do you want a flared mouthpiece? Do you want a very large flared mouthpiece? Do you want a small flared mouthpiece? That's like picking hiking boots. It doesn't matter if I have a size 12 and you have a size 12 foot. My foot's gonna be different than yours, and maybe I might I love my Mindles, but maybe you like your Crispies, and maybe someone else likes their Kenetrex And you know, we all wear a size twelve. They're all hiking boot, but man, I have my I, I've I've got the boot that works for me. You might have the boot works for you. Same thing with a bugle tube. But convenience of carry, number one. Number two, a good hard bell, good rigid sound chamber. And then whatever mouthpiece works best for you, all right um, but'm oh okay, this one, yeah, all right all right, let me I, i'm I was yeah, it doesn't matter so a lot of people. A lot of people listen to the, the conversation that Aaron Snyder and I had on the Kefaro cast uh, about broadheads. And I was critical of, I, I've I've become more and more critical of, even though I was the guy that used to advocate for mechanicals, and I used to be, I've killed several elk with a mechanical, the, the original Rage uh, hypodermics. I have grown and I have moved into the realm where I'm really not hip on mechanicals anymore. I just, the quality control out there, man, is just, I don't know. I it just, I've, be, I've become more increasingly dissatisfied with what I've seen. And then Iron Will came out with her wide series heads, which throws a freaking huge hole through an animal. With like no issues with quality control, and suddenly I was like, "Why? Like why? Why? Why?" Because even you know, if you've got to have a pretty stout freaking setup if you want to throw a two inch mechanical through an elk. Especially for people that are that are out there sitting there saying that they're gonna they're gonna take an eighty yard bomb on an elk. You know, with a mechanical, you, you you've got to have a, a pretty dang, dang stout setup, like pulling max poundage on your bow, if not more. You know, eighty, you know, 75, 80 pounds, heavy arrows. Just, I mean, to be able to just overcome the kinetic energy dump that and the penetration dump that comes from actually engaging that, you know, opening the mechanical and and driving that big of a a, a chunk of steel through. The rib cage uh, of a big freaking animal. When the iron wheel wide, so so even most people with a, with a that want to run a mechanical for an elk, you're you're talking you know inch and a half to you know up to two inches. Well, you look at the iron wheel wide sink. Hell, it, it's not much. It's not much further off of what some of the other mechanicals are, but you don't have any issues with failure of opening or uh, dull blades or, you know, all the other issues you got with mechanical. So I, I'm, I'm quickly becoming not the person to ask this question because I just stopped, I, I just stopped and I know, well, that's I, I, it doesn't matter. I don't know. Aaron and I were talking about mechanicals, and this is this is why I said it because the Sever broadhead keeps coming up, and people want to know if I've changed, you know, because they heard me talk about Sever. They see Aaron posting about Sever. Aaron loves Sever broadheads, and no, I don't. I, I, honest. This is honest. I'm being honest. I do not know. I have no idea what connection Aaron has with Sever. They they just might be good friends, and that's it. Maybe Aaron helped some of the design and and talked to him with the engineer. I I don't know. I and I haven't asked Aaron about it because I don't care. Aaron likes his Sever's. We talked about it in that the 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 podcast. I have my own experience with those heads, and it was not my experience was not favorable. I said in that podcast, and I have no problem standing behind it because I've got multiple witnesses and I've got, I don't know how many people have reached out to me since then and said, Chris, thanks for saying that because I had the exact same experience wherein the arrow, the, or excuse me, the broadhead opened on impact. There was a beautiful big, what, what I would, other people have coined or, you know, I've, I've, that slap cut where the, those those blades just fling wide open, and just the momentum of the blades opening and the arrow cut, you get this massive opening. You know the entrance hole is huge, but then in the rib cage when this is on white tails, and then on the rib cage when you look actually when you pull the lungs when I gut my white tails, all right, and I crack the sternum and open up that chest cavity to get everything cooled down, man. You're looking at the inside, the interior of the chest cavity. And I can see the size of the hole coming into the chest cavity and it's three quarters of an inch. And it's three quarters of an inch going out the other side to where what it looked like the, the blades were opening wa- opening wide open on impact. But then as they started moving through the muscle, the, the blades, the, the force of that impact started to collapse those blades, And for some reason, the the heads that I had I witnessed and had experience with did not lock open, and so they found what appears is it found they found a happy medium of balance of moving through that tissue, and so they it was about a three quarter inch wide hole going through the animal. I'm sorry, that is my experience. I, now maybe it was the old style heads. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know if the the, if the sever heads of today are new and different and improved. And, and that'll never happen. I don't know that. All I know is that has been that's been my experience with every single animal that's come through my hunting camp for deer, rocking a, a sever broadhead, to the point where the several of the guys that they were like, I'm never using these things again. And then the number of messages that I've gotten private, you know, people have sent me saying they saw the exact same thing. I, did we were were we all now? And I'm not I'm not saying that Sever hasn't made a change. Aaron stated, I I had another criticism of the head. He said that that criticism that I the, the secondary criticism that I had had been adjusted you know, about the little the way the little wings show you know stick out blah 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 blocking part of the blade blah 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 blah. I don't know. I don't know if myself, the guys that were coming into hunting camp, and then all the people that were messaging me, maybe we all are basing our opinion off of like a, the first run of production line of Sever where there might have been some, you know, maybe we got maybe we just had the old run and maybe Severs is greatly improved their the, the design. And that no longer happens to where when those suckers open up, they stay open, and they're just ripping a massive hole all the way through. I don't know, obviously, Aaron loves them he loves the sever broadheads. I did not have the same experience with them, and so again, when Iron Will came out with their wides, and I started shooting them and realizing i can and, and again, I'm not throwing sixty i'll I'll practice out to sixty but I'm not throwing 60, 80, 100 yard freaking bombs with a broad I, I'm not shooting that far the farthest shot I've ever taken on an elk I think it's like 40 yards so I just use the iron wheel wides man I, there's, I don't have to think about it anymore I don't have to worry about it anymore I can put that arrow wherever I, I want to put that arrow and I'm going to put a freaking gargantuan hole and most likely it's going it's just blowing through and going right out the other side so why 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 mess I just don't I just don't I just don't I just don't and especially for the, those people that are not pulling you know if you've got short draw length um, you've got you're, you're pulling a lighter poundage you know you're if you're pulling off of max, you know kinetic kinetic energy that your bow can produce, or you know you don't have as much penetration potential, momentum in your setup because you're pulling a lighter poundage, you're using shorter arrows, and because of that, you've got a lighter arrow. Those mechanicals eat up a lot of energy, so especially for those people that are you know again the lighter poundage, the shorter draw lengths, the lighter arrows. Just throw an iron will on that. I, I know I understand. Buy once, cry once. I know they're not cheap. As long as you don't lose them, if you bang, if you ding, ding them up and chip them up and you know brutally destroy those blades, they'll they'll switch them out for you. So I don't know. I, I when people ask me these, okay, what what's the best mechanical head these days? Pfft. Man, I'm at the point where I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say that I don't. I, and that's the thing too is people. You know, it's funny because people were asking. I, I, not not a lot. I, I had a couple conversations. People were like, "Oh, you know," because there's people putting their post. I, and probably I will. You know, building arrows and getting all. You know, showing off. You know, again, Instagram, everything. You know, the little the 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 meme. Everything is content. Everything is content. Everything is content. Every you know, whatever you're. You know, I'm walking, I'm gonna go poop in the bathroom now and I'm gonna pull out my toilet paper and here we go. I mean everything is content. Yeah, well, at some point it's like pff, I don't need to show everything. Dude, I'm building three more arrows. I I don't I'm not a gear guy, like like a gear junkie that just burns through gear and, and like for instance, I I was gonna make this a, a poll, but maybe I'll just ask it here. Like seriously, how many arrows do you go in the woods with? I go with five. Now I might have a couple extras in camp in my, my, my bow case. Like maybe, (laughs) maybe most of the time I've got five. I've got one that's a practice. I'll have a blunt on it and then I'll have four hunting arrows. That's it. I know some guys will just go with three, but you know, there's other people that have an eight arrow quiver and they've got another 16 arrow, you know, or, or, you know, two dozen arrows in camp and they're just. Well, I mean, if we talk about Aaron. Aaron loves to fling arrows. Yeah, well, I I, <laughs> I got to pay for every one of my arrows. So, I, I literally, I don't. So, if I'm not, you know, if I'm, if you shoot an elk, if it goes blowing through, hopefully you find the arrow and, and it's fine. Just put it back in your quiver and away you go. And then you just clean it off and you just, you're like, all right, stick it back in the quiver. I'll use it again. Obviously, if you, if you you break the arrow. Okay. Well, you broke the arrow. If it's in an elk. Okay. I kind of, I kind of expect that, um, if the arrow stays in that animal or whatever, it's probably going to get a broken, it'd be broken, but I'm only taking one shot. Generally speaking, I don't know. I'm taking one shot. So maybe, maybe I use one arrow, but even with the whitetails and stuff, I, you know, zip through a whitetail, sticks in the dirt, go down, pick it out, pull it out, clean it up, put it back in your quiver. So like, literally I've got the same arrows that I've, that I've had for like the last three years, but I, I don't need to, I don't need to build more arrows. I, I've got, now I do because this past deer season, I ended up, or the last elk I killed broke, uh, I, I broke th- that arrow, um, or that arrow was messed up. I mean, it was inside the, the bull all the way through, but it, it was still messed up. Um, I, it looked good. There doesn't matter. I it, it I wasn't gonna use it again. Um. Yeah, I just don't burn through stuff. I, I I just don't churn through gear just to test gear. I now that I'm not I'm no longer on the the PSE Pro staff. You know, PSE used to send me a bow every year, or mo, not every year, but most years. Because I mean, like literally, I would deal back when I was dealing with the rep, and and work with a rep on getting the bows. You know, there were some years where they didn't make a major change to the bow. And given the fact that he's got his account and he's strapped, I'm like, dude, don't send me a bow. I don't need one. If it, there's no, if there's no, m- just other than a marketing standpoint, if you, if you want it from a marketing standpoint, send it to me. But if if you don't need, I've got the same bows on the wall that I've had now for what, three years? I I don't know. But man, they freaking zip man they 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 shoot like a dream, and they're still just as good as day one. I'm not gonna go buy another bow. why these things are fine the arrows I'm using I gotta buy I I, I I do need to pick up uh probably another dozen just to have as we roll into deer season, but I don't churn through I don't churn through gear, I just don't so with broadheads, man unless something changes unless something unless somebody no i'll I, i'll just go back to what i said when i had the conversation with bill Vanderheiden with uh iron will if he, if bill comes up with a mechanical <laughs> okay now okay maybe now i'll i'll okay maybe maybe now i'll go play but until then man i'm those iron will wides fit they check all the boxes for me and for how I shoot, what I shoot, distances that I shoot, and the animals I shoot, I no longer have to worry about anything. I just put those, I screw them onto the end of the arrow and don't think twice about it. All right, what else? Oh, what time is it? okay. Yeah, we've been going a little bit. Let's do, uh, all right, here's one, here's one more. Um, here's a question that came in and, and this one this is for you elk f- folks calling bulls off of a giant group of cows how in the heck do you do that and then the caveat to that was is where these people are hunting and it's not it, well let me rephrase that how do you pull a, a bull off of a giant group of cows a couple people have asked this question and they're going to be hunting in units that that are above timberline or or units that have a lot of elk that are above tree line, that are out on these massive alpine uh, slopes. And then there was a couple people that drew tags up in Montana and they're out in habitats that are, you know, there's little tiny pockets of trees here and there, but then the elk are just way out in open grasslands. How the heck do you, you know, but strategically, every now and then those elk are either dropping down into the trees Uh, they're dropping down in lower elevation, you know, whether they're going to get water somewhere, whether they're going to go bed somewhere, but generally, you know, they spend a a lot of time out in those wide open areas, but then they will retreat back into some of these little pockets of cover or move through these pockets of cover from time to time. And so the question is, okay, how do how do you call them off there, man? It's tough it is absolutely brutally tough, especially when you're dealing with those bigger mature bulls because oftentimes they're going to be right out in the middle of it. Now, this is where, I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist. This is where a lot of those guys that talk about bugling strategies, this is where they're going to launch right in and be confident, be like, oh, well, this is what you do. Okay, well, yeah, maybe you can go in and and use a bull vocalization strategy. When they are in those little, in those situations where the cover is conducive to Hide you and your activity, but more importantly, hide the possibility of a bull being down in there next to some of their cows. Because at that point, the, 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 the general consensus is you get close to those cows, you get close to the herd, push in as tight as you can, and then use some sort of bugle. And again, I say some sort of bugle, and this is what I'm going to dive into in the, the discussion I'm recording now some sort of bugle to either challenge the bull to threaten the bull to call the bull's cows however you want to articulate it but you're getting in tight and screaming in the bull's face and hoping that you're in the right position you're close enough and the cover is thick enough to where that bull has to react emotionally without thinking where he either has to come try to run you off or at the very least, come swinging around, to get between you and his cows, and then start to push them out in the out in the open, um, to where he he can be a little more safe and evaluate you. That's that's literally the technique that and there's all sorts of different iterations. There's all sorts of different you know little nuanced discussions that people that that like to talk about you know bugling strategies are going to tell you, but that's the general gist the issue is that I have is with this oftentimes those bulls that are that that spend a lot of time out in those open grassy areas they know they're safe out there and oftentimes that's why they're out there is because they know it's safe and they know in part of the, it's not just like wolves or grizzlies or anything else like from predators it's from a situation where they can be out in the, uh, in the open and any bull on the landscape comes in and wants to engage that bull or he wants to come in and evaluate the cows or whatever. That real bull or the, the harem bull can see his competition coming from a distance. And if his competition is smaller and weaker and of lesser stature, he'll probably stay right there and just, just run him out or run that interloper out. But he sees him and evaluates him visually, and then reacts accordingly. But if but if you've got a herd bull that's like a four year old herd bull or five year old herd bull that just happens to have a whole piss pile of cows, and then all of a sudden an eight year old freaking gargantuan monster comes walking out of the timber, and he just strolls up to the ladies, and is like, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for rounding these ladies up for me. That. He's not going to go fight him, most likely. He's going to be like, Burr, oh, I'm out. Okay, so he's going to evaluate the threat visually. This is what makes those situations tricky in the Alpine. Because I hear a lot of people talk about a challenge scenario, and man, okay, you can try that. If if you've got enough cover, sometimes up in that Alpine, and you've seen some of my hunts that I've got on YouTube or on the website where, you know, some of my high country camp... I could get out into those willows and man, some of those willows were eight foot tall. So I could get out in some of that stuff and it's thick. It would hide me. It would hide a bull. It would hide a real bull. It would hide, it would hide the bull that I was after. And it could absolutely for sure hide a re, another bull that's coming in too close. So if you've got cover to hide and block visual ability of the real bull to evaluate that threat, then yes, a bugling strategy can work if you can push yourself in close enough. If you start too far away, most of the time he's gonna round. He's gonna start rounding those cows up, and he's gonna start pushing them. And they, if they are truly with him, they will listen. If they're truly not with him, he's just gonna take. He's gonna know that he's just gonna take what he can get. He's just gonna push what he can push out in the. He's gonna get himself out to safety so he can turn around and then visually evaluate that threat. So if you're going if you're in a place where you have the ability to be in some so, sort of cover, even if it's out on the alpine and you're in the willows. If you can have cover that's that has the ability to hide you or plausibly hide an interloper bull coming in, then yes, push that is a it's a solid technique, pushing in close like, sometimes, like, close enough to where you can actually end up bumping one of his cows and just flat screaming at him. Now, what type of scream? This is where this other discussion is going to dive in because, depending on who you talk to, I'll just segue real quick. The number of people that will put you, know, that you can listen to three, four, five different people that talk about a strategy. And you listen to them, and they you listen to them demonstrate the bugle that they're going to use to do it, and then you know one of them's going to call it a challenge bugle, one of them's a display bugle, one of us going to be a roundup bugle, another one's going to call it a, a bull calling cows bugle, and it's like, well, hold the freaking phone, man! What the freaking hell is it? What 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 is it? What what is it? Like it's all the same. You you just all you all blew the same damn thing in the in the bull's re, fundamentally the same damn thing in in the bull's face. So how do we not have a consensus here? Anyway, bottom line, you want to scream in that bull's face, and this is where I will go back to what Jay said in our first conversation where he was saying where if you're gonna do those buals. <laughs> just all over the place and long drawn out you're giving the bull a hell of a long time to evaluate you and your quality on whether or not you sound or are you really a bull or are you just a hunter and then even if you sound awesome whether you know, you're giving that bull plenty of time to evaluate who you are as far as your disposition and, and likely threat level don't do that Keep it short. Wow. Okay? Just keep it short. Now, we can have a discussion on whether you start raspy and then go high and clear and then off the... Whatever. Or whether you just stay high and just raspy through the... Or whether you blow a lip ball. Okay, that's a... We can get in the weeds and discuss that type of stuff. But bottom line, in my world, from a behavioral standpoint, When you understand what Bulls are doing, what they're saying, and why, I really don't care what you call it. I don't really care what you think it means. Get in close, like as in in his back pocket, he cannot see you, make sure the wind is in your face. And that's the other thing too, man. Sometimes it, whether or not you're going to be able to get a shot opportunity anyway just because of the it's so thick and whether you're going to get up a shot on that bowl. But press in tight and just... Just, I mean, scream at him, Raspy, whether you want to do a lip ball, I don't care. Raspy, high-pitched scream. Try to get that bowl to react where he's like, crap, someone's right there. I've got to just, at a minimum get between that sound, that threat, and my cows to ward off that new bull if not just come charging in and try to, to to push you out. The problem is, is I see so many times where you're not in that situation. You're not in a position you can't, either you can't penetrate close enough to actually be a credible threat or and here's the big one. You're not actually dealing with a bull that actually wants to fight you. Again, go back and listen to what Jay... Again, Jay's sitting there on the Ot 6 ranch watching these bulls, and they know exactly how old these bulls are. They know exactly... So he talked about the, the story of Creed. That bull had 30-some-odd What I'm Just a massive harem. That bull never wanted to fight. He always would retreat. He would always try to pull off to safety. There was the other bull that every time he heard Creed bugle he'd come up there and want to fight him and creed sometimes they'd they'd fight real quick and then creed would move off and just get his cows to safety if he's a mature bull and the cows are bonded with him the cows are going to be they're going to have fidelity to that bull unless he is defeated and leaves if he if he just if they just lock antlers real quick and they both agree to disagree and go their own way the cows are still going to go with the original bull they're already bonded with it they've already chose him so oftentimes, if you can't get in that close and you can't force the situation, that bull is just going to stand out in those willows. He's going to bugle. He's going to scream at you. And he's probably going to elevate, 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 elevate. Okay? Well, he's just waiting until you step out to... Obviously, you're going to say a real bull at some point would step out. So he's just going to stand there on the willows. He's going to stand in the alpine. He's going to scream his head off. And he's going to wait to see you. And this is where you just get a bugle back. You get this bugling battle back and forth. And it does nothing. And the bull just kind of wanders off and moves off. Or the cows move off. Because they're like, well, we're staying with our bull. Or worse yet, you get a couple cows. You're like, who the hell is this? And they come sneaking in. And then they're trying to figure out what's going on. And then they wind you. And then and there goes a the whole group. So... The other flip side that I'll tell people is if you can't get into that situation where you can directly challenge him to make it where he's got to react, then maybe what you do is just get in the edge of it and just worry him. You just stand on the inside of the edge of that timber and you just you just worry him. If if he's in a patch of willows, and again, if he's a couple hundred yards out there, that's this ain't going to work. But if if he's like eighty yards out there in the Willow Flat, and he just he's got all his cows, and that's where they are, and and you're not going to be able to drop an eighty yard bomb, which I will, I don't recommend, but you can't get any closer. He's not going. Sometimes rather than trying to challenge, just try to sound like a bull that just won't go away, raking on just raking on a good steady you know stout limb that actually sounds like an antler, hard limb. Probably three, four inches diameter, or two, three, four inches in diameter, something that's got some some stout to it. Start raking. Start use some of those other bull vocalizations: whines, moans, huffs, raking. What I call check bugles. You can go through there and understand, you know, where the where the bull starts to bugle, then changes his mind, and then this is where I do say. I don't like. I don't necessarily like the whole "quote unquote" challenge idea. That we can talk about it later, but there is no such thing as a challenge bugle, okay? Biologically, I don't think. I, I no, but there is acceleration of intensity of bugling. All right, and if that bull is out there and he's bugling his head off, and he and he's your you're, you at this point, you are using bull vocalizations. He thinks there's a bull nearby. He hasn't laid eyes on that bull as of yet. He's out there trying to wait and evaluate, but he's going to lash out at you with vicious rhetoric. As he increases his intensity, one possibility is for you not to. Go up in your intensity and just come up just shy Of where he is. To where, start making it sound like you are not quite as comfortable, you're not quite as confident, you're not quite as potentially dominant as that other bull is. Start sounding like you're second guessing yourself. Start sounding like you're unsure of whether or not you want to tie into this guy. Start doing more raking you start doing that and now all of a sudden the bull goes okay maybe I don't need to worry about evaluating him visually again they're going to evaluate you they're either going to do it by visual or they're going to do it by uh, you know by uh, vocal communication he wants to see you again see you first hear you second smell you third okay he wants to see you well obviously you can't just march out in the alpine you know unless you're going to carry an elk rack with you and you want to put it on your head and start dancing around like that but I guess that's a different discussion. If he can't evaluate you by visual, he's going to have to evaluate you by your sound, what you're doing, what you're bugling. If you're always matching him toe to toe, you're more likely than not going to just keep him out there in the opening, out in the open waiting, not sure if he wants to come down in there and tie into somebody who's at least as good as he is. So that's why a lot of times you get in these bugle fests back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then finally the whole herd just drifts off. Because do you want to mess with somebody who's at least as good as you are? No. So this is where vocally you need to start thinking about giving them something to evaluate that suggests you're not as confident as he is. You're starting to get a little intimidated. You might, excuse me, be a little bit worried about how he's engaging. Where he's going, he starts working next. You know, working his way towards towards you. Starts sounding a little bit more worried as well. Again, those whines, those moans, check bugles. Again, check bugles is not a specific type of bugle. It's just where you uh, 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 you're you're starting, hesitating, stop, uh, back up, eh, whine moan. You're sounding like you're second guessing yourself. Sometimes that is enough. Just to get that bull's confidence to say, okay, fine, I'm going to, rather than stand 80 yards out here in these willows, in the middle of my cows, maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk to the edge of my cows and I'm going to start raking the piss out of this tree. Well, maybe now he's 50 yards. If you can make a, you know, push forward while he's raking, he can't see you. If you can rush forward 10, 20 yards, close the distance, get a shot, great, go for it. But if you if you're if you are literally set up to where this is this is the setup this is the I, this is where I can set up this is it I can't go anywhere else, and you can just sit there and continue to just worry that bull just or not worry the bull but just continue to be right there to where he thinks that man maybe maybe this guy's a he, this guy doesn't want to go away he doesn't sound like anything that I can't handle. So maybe I just need to come in and intimidate him a little bit. Maybe if I come in a little closer and I reposition myself on the landscape and I show him me, maybe that's all he needs to just to to leave. Meaning the real bull repositions himself to show himself to the bull. He hears you so that way, maybe that final straw—that that, the, the physical representation of his antlers, the physical representation of his body size—is the last straw that says, "Okay, me, the interloper bull. I, I, nope, I don't want to mess with him. I'm just gonna—I'm gonna move off." So he rakes the piss out of that tree, but then comes in another ten, maybe twenty yards, and just kind of button hooks around and wants to take a look. Now, th- at this point, I fully—I would fully expect. Either the bull, to if he's got the terrain advantage to be able to swing around, if he can get above you and look in, he's absolutely going to. My guess is he'll take the high ground before he takes the scent path. If he can take the high ground and get above you and look down on you, he's going to choose that path. So, so watch that first. But all things being equal, if it's on level playing field and he's going to come in, don't be surprised if he starts swinging around downwind. So make sure you have an avenue to cover that downwind side. But this is where you can play with them a little bit and this is where again, at this point you're not again I'm going to have this discussion in the elk module. There's no such thing as a challenge bugle. Biologically. Behaviorally I mean. Vocally. There's just bulls that are trying to vocally represent their dominant status. Rather but if we just use the common vernacular of quote unquote challenge them, then sometimes no, challenging them then may not work. Maybe what you just do is just sit on the edge and just make it sound I've heard people talk about worry the bull, uh just constantly pester the bull, uh, you know, just be a threat to the bull, what I don't care, whatever you want to call it. But just be right there on the fringe edge of his cows, and if they're, and quite honestly, this is the other thing too. If they're moving across the landscape laterally, and you can, if you can stay in the cover, and you can continue to follow with them, just, just, just shadow that group parallel with them, not necessarily lagging. But if you if you get stuck behind them, that sucks. But if you can stay parallel with them and move with them, and and just constantly keep repositioning on that bull's group of cows that just adds to the likelihood that you can get that bull to be like, all right, son of a... All right, I want to come out and lay... I want to come out and lay... Because this guy vocally doesn't sound as, as dominant as me. He doesn't sound as confident as me. He doesn't sound as, as uh, uh, aggressive as me. Maybe I will come and make the move and I will show myself. I will get closer so that I can put my physical prow. I can show him my body size I can show him my antlers and hopefully he'll move off or I can at least bluff charge him and get him to move off sometimes that's all you need if you can get him to within 40 yards my this is me 40 yards and under dead bull I like him closer but I'll 40 yards and under all day long thank you very much all right the flip side of that is, you know, and I talk about a cow calling strategy all the time. If they're if they're bedded out in the timber, you're, or excuse me, out in the alpine, you're you're limited on what it, hopefully there's willows around. I mean, heck, if there's willows or a little creek or whatever, get on your belly and start crawling. If you can hide behind cover and, and slip your way or rocks or whatever, and slip your way in there, sometimes the best thing to do is just keep your mouth shut, make like a hole in the mountain and just slip your way in and just sniper the thing If he if he gets up and moves around and you can, you know. Get a shot off, um, just from stalking in. There's a lot of people that kill a lot of big bulls every year in that environment, and they don't say a word. They don't call at all. But this is where, again, if he, if those bulls and those cows bed down in these pockets of thick krumholtz timber, in that area where they can't keep track of each other visually, sometimes again, this is where I break from general convention sometimes your best bet is not to actually sound like a bull at all why would i want to worry that bull why would i want to prefer you know why would i want to give give him an excuse to go oh crap there's a threat here ladies get up let's go and he just pushes him out in the open alpine where he can stop turn around and look and wait to see you if everybody's bedded down in that crumbholt's timber and the, and the the alpine, you know, the willows up there and, and and you've got cover, why not slip into that edge of that group and just see if you can't start suckering some of the calves out? Start suckering some of the cows out. Sound like a cow on the edge of that group it's that that's wants it's calling that bull. Start pulling. Start pulling animals out of that group, or wait until the bull gets up and he starts, you know, stretching his legs, milling around that bedded group of cows. If you, if the wind is consistent, he starts getting up and just milling around those cows. Just use a cow, a targeted cow calling strategy, especially heavy on those assembly mews. Call him out, get him to move your way to come swing around and pick you up. He he's not going to perceive that as a threat. So anyway. There's a couple of different ways that you can play that, but none of them are fun. Because most of the time, the bulls in those habitats have learned the best defense that they have against predators and the best defense that they have with other animals moving in on their harem is to simply run right out into the open. Right out into the open. So if it was me, I'm going to start off with a targeted cow calling strategy. I'm going to slip it. I'm going to wait until they bed down in cover. If I if if I can get them to if I can find them bedded down in cover. If the wind is conducive to do, so I'm going to slip in as freaking close as I can and I'm going to start seeing if I can't start suckering some of the animals out of that group, some calves out of that group, a cow or two out of that group, get them to move my way. Get it to where that bull wants to get up and come out and either pick up his cows Or he hears me, gets up out of his bed, and he wants to come and check out who's just too far outside the fold. If that technique doesn't work, then I can always bump up to a a bull vocalization strategy. Most of the time, I'm going to start with that that scenario where I'm not quite as confident as that other bull. I'm going to start with raking. I'm going to start with some whines and moans, huffs. I'm going to start with those check beagles. So that way it sounds like a bull that I've come in close. I've smelled you guys. I know there's cows here, but I also know there's a bull here. I'm going to come in as close as I can and I'm just going to start. I'm going to see if I can you know, sneak one of these ladies out of here. That's what I'm going to do to start. And if that doesn't work to give me a shot opportunity and I really feel like it's either now or never and I need to press the issue, I can always build up on my intensity level if you just go all in it's either going to work or it's going to fail spectacularly your call all right i think that's good enough for tonight like i said if you want to continue, if you want to hear the rest of these questions again talk you know me talking about some chuckling bulls chuckling um, and my take on it and what chuckles seem to mean uh, as far as i've been able to, to, to tell and why i like bulls that chuckle um, if you want to talk a little bit more about herding behavior and especially mate selection strategy and breeding behavior um that's where the rest of these con the the rest of these uh questions are going to be over on the elk module so alrighty, enough for tonight i'm gonna kill it i'm gonna get this uploaded and live so it's ready for you guys uh first thing in the morning or i guess you are listening to it first thing in the morning so there it is and then I'm um, just going to keep rocking and roll on some of the other stuff that I've got going on. There's all, uh, we've got other stuff going t- on too. I'm, I, everybody's right now focused on elk, so I don't need to give you updates on what's going on or not going on for our whitetail stuff. I mean, we're still plugging along on a bunch of that type of stuff as well. I'm going to try to get out of here in the next two weeks. I'm going to try to do my elk hunt the first week or two of September. I don't know how much time I'm going to have. Um, I'll talk more about that probably with Steve tomorrow. Um, but regardless, I'm going to try to do my elk on early in September so I can get back here and then just tackle a bunch of stuff for our, our, deer hunters coming up. But anyway, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm like you, man. I'm, I'm going through gear now. Um, just getting a few arrows built up. I need to, you know, throw some more arrows at, at a, you know, at a couple of targets. Just, yeah, just trying to get everything done, trying to get everything, I, I invariably always wait to the last possible moment. And I'm gonna, man. Every year I tell myself I'm not gonna do that, but that's what ends up happening. I'm really, really, really trying not to do that this year, and we'll see how how successful um, I am, or whether I fail spectacularly. <laughs> anyway, all right. Thanks everybody. Uh, like I said, hopefully I can get uh, Steve on the um, evening and have that discussion out to you guys on Tuesday. So, fingers crossed. Talk to you soon.